you have a copy of the Word of God tonight and want to turn along with us, we'll be in the book of Romans chapter number 8. Book of Romans chapter number 8. Read some verses here. And try our best to give you what's on our heart. May be a little different uh, for me tonight in a style delivery. I may stay with my Bible a little more and look at the Bible a little more. But I was praying about the service tonight. And this morning in the Sunday school hour, Brother Tim mentioned verse 31 out of Romans chapter 8. Or he just mentioned the verse that if God be for us, who can be against us? And it struck a chord in my heart and I got to looking through the Bible to find where it was at. I knew somewhat where it was and when I found it I began to look up and some things caught my attention in the verses before and after that verse and I've not been able to get away from it today. And uh, so I'm going to try my best to uh, give you what's on my heart and just look at a few things and highlight a few things in the Scripture. It may be more of a a study of the Word of God tonight, and I'll be the first to admit that I can't cover everything that I'm going to read tonight in one service. But I'm going to try to hit the highlights and follow the direction of the Spirit of God and try our best to give you what's on our heart. Romans chapter 8, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 8 is a very uh, meaty chapter. And uh, probably one of my favorite chapters in this book. And Paul is writing here, and under the inspiration of God, he does a very good job of covering the blessings of the Spirit of God indwelling or living inside of the believer. And what that produces in us, what the Spirit of God does in us and for us, as the people of God. So I want to pick up tonight reading in verse number 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also? Freely give us all things. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? 
It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. So Romans chapter 8 is written strictly to believers only. It is written to the people of God. Those of us who have been saved, redeemed, regenerated, transformed, The Bible starts out, this chapter does, in verse number 1, speaking about the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's going to be the theme of the entire chapter, is that the Spirit that indwells the believer produces and works in us Things that are only particular to those who are redeemed, to those who are saved. It frees us from the guilt of the law. That's what Paul will say first, that it is the Spirit of God who hath made us dead unto the law. That is, that the law no longer has dominion over us, for Christ fulfilled the law. Or as Billy Mitchell, the evangelist from Jamestown, Tennessee said, he filled it full. He accomplished everything. The scripture said that he took away the handwriting ordinances that was against us and he blotted it out nailing it to his cross. And so therefore because the spirit of God dwelleth in us we have life and liberty in Christ. The law produced death and the law produced bondage. But the spirit of God indwelling the believer, the new birth that results in the indwelling of the Spirit of God produces life and liberty as the Spirit of God abides in us. We are not called to death, but we have been given life. Christ said, I am come that my sheep might have life and that they might have that life more abundantly. I think that's two different things. I think the first life, if we study the Scripture, and if I'm understanding the Scripture correctly, I believe the first life that Christ talks about is that life that we obtain in regeneration, that when we are passed from death unto life, that we, we who were dead in trespassing sins, we have been quickened and made alive in Christ. He came to give us life. That's the only way we could live is to have life through Christ. 
And then he said, I come not just to give them life, but to give them life more abundantly. I think that speaks of the indwelling of the Spirit of God that lives on the inside of us. Not only does he make our spirit alive toward God, that is the life of the believer, that our spirit is dead toward God. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he died instantly, and he began to die progressively. He died instantly in the spirit. The spirit was cut off. The conscience was cut off from God. That man that testifies and witnesses with God died that day because of sin. The Bible said by one man, and that is Adam, sin entered in, and death by sin. For that all and death hath passed upon all men. That's not the physical death, though that death does come. But the writer there speaking of spiritual death. That all men are born dead toward God in the spirit. And so he came to give us life. That is spiritual life. He came to make our spirit alive again toward God. It's the spirit man that has fellowship with God. It's the spirit man that walks with God. It's the spirit man that talks to God. It's through the spirit. It may come out of our mouth. It may come forth from our physical lips. But if it's true praying, it has begun in the spirit. So he came to give us life. Spiritually to make us alive. But he came to give us life more abundantly. And so he didn't just make our spirit alive, he put his spirit inside of us. And that's how we have abundant life. Abundant life is not what the charismatics preach. Abundant life is not the health, wealth, and prosperity crowd's message. Abundant life is not having big houses and nice cars and having money in the bank and never having a sickness. That's not abundant life. For the Bible said that all that would live godly in Christ Jesus would suffer persecution. And suffering comes in many forms. If the health, wealth, and prosperity crowd is correct, then they might as well take Paul out of the Bible because he suffered. He suffered loss of all things physically, financially. He suffered times in the deep. He was in prison. He was naked. He was destitute of food. He was hungry. He was forsaken. He spent in the deep with no hope. He received stripes above 40 many times. But yet he could say, I am content in whatsoever state I am because he had abundant life inside him. That's the Spirit of God that lives in us. And so we've been made alive, but we also have been given abundant life. And so as we follow the Spirit of God that dwells in us, as we allow Him to work through us and control us, then we perceive and we understand and we experience greater degrees of the abundant life that we have in God. And so Paul here is writing and he talks about that we are not in the flesh. Now we live in the flesh, but we do not serve God in the flesh. We do not walk in the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. Verse number 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh 
cannot please God. That does not mean that we cannot please God so long as we live in the flesh. But it means that we cannot please God if we live to the flesh. We're to live to the Spirit. The carnal mind, that is the mind of the flesh, is enmity or it is the enemy of God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. He said, so then, because of that, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And that would seem real hopeless to us, but thank God for verse number 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, capital S. I want you to notice that in Romans 8, every time the word spirit is mentioned, it's always capital. Paul is not talking about the spirit man, although that is understood. But we are serving God. We are acceptable unto God because of His Spirit that lives inside of us. We're not in the flesh, but we are in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, many people would say that that's just for a select few. But I have Bible against that. Because the end of this verse says, Now if any man... Have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You, it is an impossibility for you to be born again and the Spirit of Christ not dwell in you. It is impossible. They are salvation and the indwelling of the Spirit of God are inseparable terms for the believer. The moment that you got born again and birthed in the family of God, that same moment the Holy Spirit took up His abode on the inside of you and you instantly come out of the flesh in the mind of God and into the Spirit so that now you can walk in the Spirit and be pleasing in the sight of God. That's according to Scripture. And if Christ be in you, that is through the Spirit, the body is dead because of sin. In other words, we are dying. That is the ultimate result. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So the outer man continues his course toward death because of sin. But the inner man is now living because of the Spirit of God and the righteousness which is of Christ. We've been made alive by that. And the spirit of him. Now I want you to look at verse number 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now Paul does not speak best I can understand. Paul never covers death in Romans chapter 8. And so in the context... He's not talking about, and though there is coming a day that the dead in Christ shall rise first, but Paul is not talking about death being quickened from our physical death in chapter or verse number 11. He's talking about that the Spirit of God that's in you, if you're minding the Spirit of God and following after the Spirit of God, He will make your flesh, make it possible for you while you live in the flesh to through the Spirit in the flesh serve God. 
He will quicken, make alive your mortal body. Because you can't serve God by the power of the flesh. It must be by the power of the Spirit. But we still live in the flesh. So we need the grace of God not only to quicken our spirit, but to quicken our flesh and make it possible while we're in the flesh to through the Spirit serve God. That's what he's talking about in verse number 11. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. Paul is making it apparent to them that us serving God has nothing to do with our flesh. We're not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God... They are the sons of God. So the Spirit of God not only dwells in you, but He leads you. We've not received the spirit of bondage. That's the law. Again, the fear. That's what the Old Testament covenant and the Old Testament law produced fear of God in the people. But our new covenant and being made alive in Christ and being quickened by faith and grace, it produces love in the people of God of the New Testament. We don't fear as they did, we respect God, we reverence God, but we do not fear Him in the letter of the law. We love Him according to the election of grace. You don't have to let that word scare you. I'm not preaching that some are born to go to heaven and some born to go to hell, but when we are saved by the grace of God, we receive the election of grace and thereby we draw nigh unto God. We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear they approached God as close as they could get. The Old Testament way with God was a standoff. Don't come near. But the New Testament, thank God, is that we draw near. He said we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We address Him intimately as our Father. And the Spirit itself... Now, this was the verse that was mentioned this morning or covered quite much in the Sunday school lesson this morning. The Spirit, capital S itself, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's that unction that we have received from the Holy One. It is the indwelling, the power of the Spirit to be quickened in the flesh and to serve God, to mortify our bodies. And that's the witness that we are the children of God. And it goes on. Now I don't want to take time to cover all of this, but I want to get to verse 26 and then mention a few things on down. He says, likewise. So he's saying he has given a, a, a consensus of what the Spirit does in us. And he says in verse 26, likewise. Or another thing, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, I looked up that word helpeth, and it means to heave with. That's what that word means. Now, we don't use the word heave very much in our English day, but heave means to get under a load, to bear up with. And so what the Bible is saying is that when we are have an infirmity, or we have a burden, or we have a weight, or a care, the Spirit that lives inside of us, not our spirit, but the Spirit of God heaves with us and lifts the load with us. He helpeth our infirmities. When we don't have the strength, He is our strength. 
This is what God meant when he spoke to Paul and told him that his strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness. When we have infirmity, the Spirit of God that dwells in us helpeth or heaves with or gets under the load with our infirmities. No child of God ever has to bear their burdens alone. That's why I think, or one of the reasons, there are many reasons, why the writer must have wrote the song that was mentioned this morning and said, I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way for the Comforter abides with me. It must have been because of this verse in part that when we're burdened, troubled, have a load of care, He heaves, gets under the load, and helps our infirmities. Thank God. We don't have to bear anything alone. I'm glad for that. When I don't know your need, and if I do, it is, uh, it is the will of God. It's the law of Christ that we bear one another's burden. But what about in the hours that we can't let anybody else know or we can't tell anybody else? Thank God we're not alone. There's a spirit in us that has the power to help our infirmities. And even when our infirmities are so great that we don't even know what we ought to pray for, have you ever been in a situation or under a load and you didn't even know how to ask for help? Didn't even know what to say. He said, for you know not what you ought to pray for as you ought. That doesn't mean that we're, uh, we don't know how to pray or we don't know how to talk to God. But he's linking it to infirmities. That when our burdens are so great that we can't even come up but sometimes the English language and our heart and mind doesn't even have the words to express to God what we need Him to do in our hearts. We don't know. We're not like God. We don't have the mind of God. We don't have all that wisdom. And so there are times that our mouth and our mind and even our heart fails to know the words to say. He said, but the Spirit itself, ain't that something? In those hours, while He is, and see this is where the, the, the people, this is where men and the work of the Spirit, the aid of men and the aid of the Spirit are very different. Men are limited to what they can do. It's hard to bear a load and to do anything else. We are called to bear one another's burden. Thank God even while we're bearing one another's burden, there's a spirit that's living inside of us that is bearing our burden with us. And while He's bearing our burden, while He's heaving with us, when, and we know that we don't know what to pray, and He knows that we don't know what to pray, and so while He's heaving with us, He is at the same time making intercession for us. He's lifting our load. And I don't know if this does anything for you, but it's stirred in my heart today. And it's stirred in my heart again that while He's lifting the load, He's not limited to just one capacity or one function. But while He's heaving with us, He's taking words to God that we don't even know what to say. It says He maketh intercession. The Spirit itself. He doesn't send a messenger. He doesn't send an angel. He doesn't send a carrier. The Spirit itself that heaves with us also makes intercession for us. 
with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, there's a lot of debate about what this part means. If it is the intercession of the Spirit that consists of the groanings which cannot be uttered, or if it is when we have groanings inside our spirit and we don't know, and I think in my own thoughts and just studying the Scripture and the way I feel led to present it to you tonight, I think it is this, because that's what it's dealing with when we're in infirmity, when we have an infirmity, we need help bearing the burden. We don't know what we ought to pray. And all we can do is groan within ourselves. We can't utter a word. And I was reading today, I felt led to read after some men. And Matthew Henry made mention, and I had never seen this before. Matthew Henry made mention of Exodus 14. When the people came to the Red Sea. At the people of Israel and Pharaoh and his armies were behind and the Red Sea before and they made mention of killing Moses. They said, why have you brought us out here? You have led us into the wilderness to die. It would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt. It would have been better for us to have stayed behind. It would have been better to stay under our burdens and have our taskmasters over us than to come out here and die in the wilderness. Now go home and read it. Exodus 14, 15. God speaks to Moses and says, Why Christ thou after me? But there's no record in Exodus 14 of Moses praying. Every other time that Moses entreats God on for direction or on behalf of the people of God, it is recorded. This time, there is no prayer And in reality, if you think about the situation, there really wasn't time to pray. Pharaoh's closing in. They don't know what to do. Moses is in a chaos. The people are wanting to stone him. They're rebelling against him. They're wanting to take up arms at him. They're blaming him for their situation. Pharaoh's closing in. I think deep on the inside, Moses groans in the Spirit. And God hears Though Moses never says a word. And that's the way it works for us. There are times, have you ever got down to pray? And there have been many times that I've got down to pray, and the only thing that would even come out of my mouth was, Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Have you ever been that way? I'm glad that when that spirit that lives in me got a hold of them, Help, Lord's. And I didn't even know what to pray. He took help, Lord, and translated it from the time it left my heart till it come in before the throne of God and said, I know all he can get out is help, Lord. And there have been times I couldn't even get help, Lord, out. But by the time he got from my heart and the groanings from my heart and he got in before the throne of God where our mediator sits on the right hand, he interpreted and translated and spelled out exactly everything that I needed. What a privilege. What a blessing that we have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of us. And he that searcheth, now verse number 27 is linked to 26. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what, the, what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. 
Ain't that something? He'll never take a groaning and interpret it or intercede with it and it ever be anything contrary to the will of God. Now there are times we ask contrary to the will of God. James said there are times we ask amiss that we may consume it upon our own lust. Sometimes we're not even interested. If we would all be honest in the will of God, we just want what we want. But thank God the Spirit always makes intercession because the Spirit that lives in us knows the mind of God and He makes intercession according to the will of God. And we know. Now verse 28, I'm not a good English person. I hated it in school. But verse 28 starts with a conjunction which means it links it to what has been said. And we know. So we are in have infirmities. We have groanings we can't utter. The Spirit makes intercession and He intercedes according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. When we come to a place of infirmity and we know not how to pray as we ought, And we must depend upon the Spirit of God to intercede on our behalf. And He intercedes for us according to the will of God. Then that infirmity that has brought us to the place of groaning, has brought us to the place where we're so broken we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Now because of the Spirit that works in us, God is now going to take that infirmity, that groaning, that problem, that weariness, that heaviness, that burden, and make it all work together for good to us. In the context, now this verse is taken out of context a whole lot. But in context, he is speaking about the intercession of the Spirit of God for us on behalf of our infirmities. And that God allowed the infirmity to bring us to the place that we could not pray because we did not know what to ask so that the Spirit dwelling in us could both heave with us and bear our load with us and make intercession for us according to the will of God. And God's going to take all that together and work it for our good. Ain't that something? I was reading, just looking at the words and trying to study them. And I'm no scholar on that. I I like what Brother Tim said this morning. All them that take the time, you know, to learn everything about the language. I appreciate them doing that and the Lord allowing them to do that. But they emphasize the fact that the word things is the noun and it is plural more than one. So the things must mean the infirmity, the groanings, the intercession, and the will of God. All of those things, plural, work together. They said that, now in English language, we would say this is not correct, but there's no error in the Word of God. In the English language, verbs and nouns must agree together. If a noun is plural, so must also the verb be. But here in the Scripture, we have a plural noun and a singular verb. You say, what does that mean? What it means is that it is doing what God said it's doing. They are all accomplishing the same purpose. The infirmity, 
the groaning, the intercession according to the will of God, the help of our intercessor, the help of the Spirit of God, the heaving of all of that is working together to accomplish the same purpose and it is good for us as the people of God. They are inseparable. And the writer gave the example of James 22 and 22 where it spoke about Abraham and his faith and his works. That by faith he went out, his works were produced by his faith, and then his, his works also gave uh, a testimony that his faith had become perfect. They were all working the same thing. And that's what the Spirit of God through our infirmity. Now we don't like to have infirmities. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to have burdens. But the Scripture says that we know it is a surety and a security for the believer that we know that all these things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. That's the will of God for every believer is to make us like Christ. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and, the, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now I'm interested, and I'll go through this and I'll be done. The Lord got to speak into my heart, and I'm interested in these questions. Paul begins to ask a series of questions. He says, what shall we say then to these things? Paul has spent verse 1 through 30, Speaking about the work of God in us, specifically in the Spirit of God. And now Paul gets to verse 31, and he says, what are we going to say now? What do we take away? How do we sum up everything that's been said about the works of the Spirit of God in the believer? And he says, this is how we sum it up. If God be for us, who can be against us? Because we have life through the Spirit. That we need not fear God through the Spirit. That we can draw nigh to God through the Spirit. That we have liberty in the Spirit. That we worship in the Spirit. That we are led by the Spirit. That when we have infirmities, the Spirit helps us. That when we don't even know how to pray, the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered according to the will of God. And he said, because of all these things, I say, if God be for us, who can be against us? It goes to the Scripture, I think John said, greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. That Spirit of God that dwelleth in you, if He is for you. Now, it's directly related to our infirmities, our groanings, and the intercession of the Spirit of God. And what Paul is saying is, no matter what comes our way, if God be for us, if that Spirit of God that dwelleth in us heaves with us, if He helps our infirmities, then there's no infirmity that He cannot bear. If He helps our burdens, there's no burden too heavy that He can't take the load. If God be for us, who can be against us? And He said, He... Now he's talking about this God that dwells in us. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not with Him also 
freely give us all things. This just adds to and continues the same train of thought from verse 31. If God cared enough about us to send His Son to die for us, how shall He not, after we've been saved by the work of His Son and received the Spirit of adoption that now we are the sons of God, how shall He not with that same Son give us all things that we need to serve Him in this life? Ain't that a blessing? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. In the eyes of God, because of the work of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit, we are as if we have never sinned. That is to be justified in the sight of God. And people may want to bring things up. The devil may want to bring things up. Our flesh wants to bring things up. But Paul said, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is he that condemneth? In verse 34. It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Paul said if anybody is going to condemn, it's only Christ that has the right to. And He's not going to condemn us because He's seated at the right hand making intercession for us. John even, and Brother Tim will probably get to that if the Lord permits is going to get to the place where he says in his epistle, even if our heart condemn us, we have assurance with God which is greater than our heart. When we can't get over our own self, when we won't forgive our own sin, but there's a testimony, a witness greater than our own heart in us that will not condemn us because we belong to God. Ain't that a blessing? And he loves us so much And the reason for His intercession, the reason He does not condemn us is because of the love that He has for us. And someone might say, and Paul, under the inspiration and the guidance of the Spirit of God, knew that someone might argue, but what if we got separated from that love? What then? Do we stand under condemnation? Paul started the chapter with that with condemnation he's going to end the chapter with condemnation and bring it full circle that there is no condemnation to the people of God there will be times of correction there will be times of chastening there will be times of repentance but there will never ever again after you're saved ever be a time that you live under the condemnation of the law of God for sin and we better thank God Because the condemnation of the law of God is where we were under sin, when we were unregenerate, when we were aliens away from God, when we were the offenders of God, we dwelt under the condemnation of the wrath of God against our sin. But because of Christ and His love for us and His completed work at Calvary, we've been saved and birthed in the family, been given the adoption of sons, and now there is no condemnation upon us. And there never will be. Because Paul said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul in verse 35 and 36 is testifying to the fact and he is quoting Psalm 44, 22 about the afflictions 
and the things we go through in life as a believer. We're going to suffer. But those sufferings never condemn us or separate us from the love of God. And not only do they not, he said, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. More than conquerors. It's very important, and I'm, I'm going to highlight this and I'm done. It's very important that we understand, and if you underline in your Bible, you might ought to underline more than conquerors. Because you can be a conqueror and suffer great loss. But if you are more than a conqueror, that means that you have suffered little loss and obtained great gain. What Paul is saying here is in these tribulations, distresses, persecutions, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We suffer little loss. Matter of fact, the only loss we suffer in anything we go through in suffering for Christ, the only loss we suffer is what the gold suffers loss of in the refiner's fire, and that's the dross that needs to be purged from us anyway. That's the only thing we lose in our sufferings with Christ. We lose the dross. We lose the things that need to be purged. And we obtain great riches in the work of God through the Spirit in us. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul said that is the... If you want to find a New Testament verse that teaches security of the believer, those are the verses. We are secure because of the love of God which has been given to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Spirit that dwelleth in us makes us conquerors and more than conquerors and helps us and aids us and allows us to walk a life that is pleasing in the sight of God. He heaves with us, helps our infirmities, bears our load, makes intercession for us. I don't know if you've got anything out of it tonight, but I thank God tonight for the Spirit of God that dwells inside the believer. Thank the Lord we're not alone, but He abides with us. Father, I thank You, Lord, tonight for the privilege and the opportunity to have been in Your house with Your people. Thank You, Lord, tonight that I'm saved. Lord, because of that, because of what You did, the Spirit dwells in me. Lord, that Comforter, that abiding presence, that intercessor, I thank You, Lord, for it tonight. Thank You, Lord, for all the benefits, all the privileges that come with being a child of God because the Spirit of God indwells us. Thank You, Lord, tonight. Thank You for this time together and the privilege to be in the house of God with Your people. I know, Lord, that it was not much on my part, but I tried my best to follow Your leadership and Your direction. May You help us to understand. May we take it. Lord, may we glean and gather from it. May it encourage us. May it strengthen us. May it draw us closer to You. May it give us a greater understanding. Lord, may You give us an understanding. Lord, greater of what we have in You. Lord, I thank You for all You're doing. Thank You, Lord, for what You're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.